Hello and welcome to episode one of the Golden Hour podcast brought to you by the Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions. In our very first podcast, we'll hear from Mark Witt, BCM Director at MTSU. We'll cover a number of topics, including mental health, Gen Z, beach reach, and where to get a really great breakfast on the square in Murfreesboro. We'll also learn what was first bottled in Tennessee, but don't worry, it has nothing to do with whiskey. Dr. Randy Davis will share some thoughts on peacemaking in the church. And Vicki Anderson will be sharing some cool happenings in Tennessee that we can all pray about. Episode one. This is kind of exciting. Let's go. Hey, welcome to the Golden Hour. Matt Tullis, Beth Moore, steady keeping it popping. Yeah, we helping the community. I just got to keep it real. Any way you slice it, Tennessee is a mission field. The Golden Hour is brought to you by the Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions. When you give through the Golden Offering for Tennessee, you're making disaster relief compassion ministry, evangelism, recovery ministry, church planting, ethnic ministry, foster care, and church revitalization possible throughout Tennessee. Hey, any way you slice it, Tennessee is a mission field, the golden hour. Hey, everyone's invited, we making changes, and that's for real, the golden hour. Let's go. Hey, I definitely think that our theme song is a little cooler than we are, but... Oh, for sure. Way cooler. And I'm excited about this. We've been talking about this for some time upstairs about doing a podcast, not only about the golden offering for Tennessee missions, but all the things that are Tennessee. Yes. And uh, it is great to have you aboard. Uh, If you don't know Beth Moore, she's our Compassion Ministry Specialist. And And resident Tennessee trivia... Yes. Guru person. Tennessee trivia guru. My name is Matt Tullis, and I'm still trying to figure out what I do here. Yeah. But anyway, we started out, I, I think you had mentioned or had written that we were going to be talking about what was bottled first in Tennessee. And so I don't know, was it Pepto-Bismol? Um, um, no, okay. close. Maybe, but <laughs> Maybe you'd need it after that. But maybe, it, but it yeah. wasn't whiskey. We, we No. No, okay. I mean, Tennessee is known for that, but this That's is right. a Baptist podcast, so exactly. we're not going to go there, but... According to this company's website, the beverage was created in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh-huh. In 1886, was sold as um, a fountain drink for years. But it wasn't until 1899 that two Chattanooga attorneys had the idea of starting a bottling company. Okay, so was from Georgia. Yes. So the, the roots there, I'm, I'm seeing Coke. You're right. Coca-Cola. Yeah, Coca-Cola. Yeah. yeah. And the original recipe still uh, remains. That's right. They changed it once. They, they did. I think they took Didn't out all well. the pharmaceutical stuff yeah. out of it. Yeah. But that's great. Well, another thing that we're going to do in this podcast is we're going to give Brother Randy, our executive, an opportunity to talk about one issue, one thing. And so I'm really excited to hear about that. He's going to be talking about peacemaking and that's something we all need in our churches. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever been to a Baptist business meeting, but yeah, definitely could um, use some I, peacemaking I was, skills. I was at several as a child that I looked forward to because I got to see adults act like children. That's right. So, so let's listen to this short spotlight on peacemaking. It's time for Ask Brother Randy, featuring Dr. Randy C. Davis, President and Executive Director of the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. Hey, we're excited to visit with Brother Randy and ask Brother Randy 
Dr. Randy C. Davis, probably one of the most busy men that I know. And uh, we're going to just talk about some questions and issues that pastors face as well as lay people. And the first one is apropos, seems like all the time, which is peacemaking. What are some things that you've learned? You've been a pastor for 34 years before you came to the TBMB, correct? Uh, yeah, uh, four different churches, two in Mississippi on the Gulf Coast, and then uh, two churches in East Tennessee, first Morristown and first Sevierville. And you've never had any conflict in those churches, correct? <clears throat> Absolutely not. <laughs> um, you're not going to be alive long before you have some kind of conflict in your life or you run into some conflict that you have to rush into to help out with. Right. So what are some things that we need to know when conflict erupts in a church? Well, number one, uh, don't be surprised by it because the Lord said we are to preserve the unity uh, that we have in the Spirit. Uh, it, it, it is not something we take for granted. I love what uh, Proverbs says over in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 20. It, it talks about the person that makes peace is going to have joy. Another translation called peacemakers, counselors of joy. So you want to get from the place of conflict to the place of joy. And I promise you, the people of this world have no interest in uh, being regular attenders at a church that's constantly in conflict. They want to go to a place where there's peace and there's joy and there is purpose. Um, I've learned this as you just kind of deal with people. Uh, You learn that hurting people hurt people. So typically speaking, if there's somebody that's causing conflict and they just, (laughs) they seem to be exercising their spiritual gift of causing conflict, there's probably a deep-seated hurt in that person's life, a root of bitterness, something that's made them like they are. Uh, That doesn't mean that you just discount them or that you ignore them, but you look past the pain they cause and look at the pain that they're living with and living in. Um, the second thing is that you have to listen and earn the right to speak into a situation that uh, may be a situation of conflict and turmoil. Uh, People do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's an adage I heard someone else say once, probably John Maxwell, but it is extremely apropos to the subject of being a peacemaker and conflict. And you have to get to the place, if you're going to be a peacemaker, that you speak the truth in love. Um, peacemaking is not for weaklings. You've got, you can't take people down a road that you've never been down before. You can't take people to a destination that you don't, know nothing about. If you're going to be a peacemaker, you've got to have peace yourself, and you've got to have confidence in the one that gives you peace. Um, The Bible describes our Lord as the Prince of Peace. That means that is His domain. You can't find peace anywhere else in this life apart from Jesus Christ. Now, if you're going to stick your neck out, And if you're going to pour yourself into making peace, and it is a worthy, noble practice, uh, God's not looking for peacekeepers. He's looking for peacemakers. And in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, 
He didn't say peacekeepers. And if you're going to do that, if you're going to be used of the Lord to bring peace in a situation where there is conflict or lack of peace, um, then you, you've got to take some steps in that direction that are pragmatic and sometimes prophetical. Like you've got to be able to uh, move people to a higher ground, listen to them, listen to the hurt, listen to what's causing the conflict. But most, most of the time, really, especially in churches, um, there are things that you, you scratch your head wondering, really, is this causing our conflict? Is the color of the carpet important enough to divide the body of Christ? Um, people gravitate to conflict when they're not being driven toward a higher purpose, uh, a calling, if you will, to higher ground. So when you have the opportunity to speak into it and you've listened well and you understand it, then talk about the, the pain that this conflict is causing. Talk about the price that the church is paying or the relationships are paying for this conflict and then paint a picture as you have the opportunity to of a better place than the conflict. Paint a picture of what it'd be like to live in peace and to live in joy Uh, because deep down that's what everybody really, really wants. Uh, I read the other day a fellow named Joe Cordage wrote something And the acronym was CALM. Control oneself. If you're going to be the peacemaker, you have got to control yourself. And, man, the Holy Spirit's got to control you. You cannot get emotional. You can't pick a side and gang up on someone else or some other situation. You've got to control yourself in the power of the Holy Spirit. Then you've got to act on God's Word. Uh, You're not going to fix this in a manner that's contrary to the Word of God. And you got to love folks that are different than you are. They may have a different temperament. They may have a different spiritual gift set. They may have a different perspective. But you've got to love everybody that's involved in the conflict, and they've got to know that you love them and that you care for them. And then you mediate the conflict. And, and sometimes you get to the place where you're obviously not making progress, and you ask the parties involved to take a time out. You say, let's come back together in a week, or let's come back together in 21 days, and let's just pray over this. And the chance is that if you give the Holy Spirit an opportunity like that and an open door, and you get the people to agree, okay, I'm going to pray about X, Y, Z and be very specific with it, and this time out can, can reap incredible benefits. And just one last thing I, I want to share, Brother Matt, and uh, James gives us just a three-point prescription in just a couple of verses over in James 1. In verses 19 and 20, he gives us a simple three-step formula. Three things you got to do if you're going to be a peacemaker. And if you're going to create peace, He said, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I don't care if it's conflict in a church, a marriage, or 
across the aisles in Congress. Uh, if you're not willing to take the time and really listen and really understand and be empathetic and sympathetic, um, then you are going to have a hard time earning the right to speak. And you're slow to speak. You don't come off dogmatically or you don't come off as being a know-it-all or in an angry tone, but you are slow to speak. And that creates an atmosphere where you're slow to get to the place of anger. Um, So I, I would encourage any of our listeners to just really just pray and ask God to make you a peacemaker because the world's in very short supply of peacemakers. And I'm, I'm praying that God will raise up an army of peacemakers. I tell you, I'm so thankful for Brother Randy. I've seen him in, in many situations where he brought peace in places where there could have been conflict That's right. in our yeah. state. And we have one of the most peaceful states, it seems like, as far as conventions are concerned, when we gather together. So, And I think that's in large part due to his wisdom and, and right. leadership. Now we're on to the main course. We've had our yes. appetizers, got some wisdom, got some fun, got a Coke and a smile. And now uh, tell us who we're, we, we talked to. Uh, yes, I'm so excited. Episode one, Mark Witt, BCM director at MTSU. Mark's a dear friend, um, partner in the gospel, and so excited for our listeners to hear what yeah, he has to say. We are so blessed to have him. Yeah. He's been doing this uh, a long time, a long time, just yeah. shortly after Reconstruction, <laughs> he started. And uh, you're going to love this conversation because it really shows his heart for ministry, but he is just a fun guy. He is so, so fun to be around. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's listen. Um, well, we're super excited to have our good friend, Mark Witt, who is the BCM director at Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro. Um, Mark's been there for six years. Before serving at MTSU, you were with LifeWay yes, ma'am. for five years. Mm-hmm. And then before that at Murray State yep. in Kentucky. Go Racers. Yeah, for 14 years. So Mark is a great friend. Um, we love him so much and what he's doing. Also, you're married to Lisa. You have a daughter, Elizabeth, who is at UT. Yeah, she's in her second year of vet school at UT Knoxville. And then a son, Tyler, and a soon-to-be... Soon-to-be husband. Yeah, Yeah. daughter-in-law's coming. Yeah, Yeah, so Tyler is marrying Allie this summer. And so, uh, but he's at Murray State. He's a nursing major at Murray State. Yeah. Well, so we're excited that you're here, Mark, and looking forward to talking with you today. And so what I get from all that is you're old. Uh, That's true. And and I'm older. So uh, we're we're both, we're at the age where those kind of things happen. So we want to go way back uh, to your disc jockey Oh, yes. yeah. Can we do yes. that? <laughs> we hey. were just talking about before the podcast, you, you actually have done some DJing. I did. So that was that was my high school job. I, I lived, I grew that up in a That was mine, little... too. Seriously? Yes. Yes. So, I mean, this is Mark on the Mic till late tonight uh, <laughs> at WMJL 15 Country. That's awesome. Yeah. It was, it was my high school job. I started when I was, okay, get this, 14. Uh, I grew up in a little two-stoplight town, Marion, Kentucky, and the radio station was in my neighborhood. So I got, you know, I walked to work. and I knew there was something connecting us together. Yeah, absolutely. The thing that I remember, because I did country music as well, uh-huh. is I would just come home and I, I wouldn't be able to understand why. 
but just clinically depressed at the end <laughs> of the evening. So yes, yes. I think if I would have done it more than three years, I I may have been an alcoholic. Yeah, point, I so. I'm I. I don't listen to country music at all. Live in Middle Tennessee, no, and that's not a part of my just, life anymore. Yeah, it's, it's just a Prozac yeah. place. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, anyway, tell us a little bit about your story beyond that. Sure, sure. I, um, uh, like I said, I'm a Western Kentucky boy. Honestly, uh, most of my life I've lived in Western Kentucky, and my uh, parents lived in Marion, and um, I actually, um, I, I've, I really find my life really fortunate because I, I I was blessed to grow up in a family where the name of Jesus was just very frequent. And so I grew up with uh, a family that loved Christ and, and we talked about Jesus all the time. And so, uh, and, and when I was 11 years old, that's when I made a profession of faith. I, I actually grew up in a Cumberland Presbyterian church, Sugar Grove Cumberland Presbyterian Church okay. uh, in Crittenden County, Marion, Kentucky. And that church discipled me, loved me. I had a high school uh, Sunday school teacher, his name's Keith Hart, that just was a mm. major influence in my life. And I watched him as a dad. I watched him as a husband. And um, and he was <laughs> he was my partner on the play-by-play radio broadcast of the of the football team the high school football team so, so friday night lights yes friday night lights uh i did that as well and so but keith was my partner and we traveled together and in you know he discipled me he loved me but 11 years old is when i came to christ and uh as i as i grew older uh just continued to grow in discipleship and and grow in that walk with christ went to college at murray state in kentucky and uh never stepped foot into the BCM as a freshman because I was Presbyterian. I didn't think I could. And, but I had friends that went there and, um, over that summer and actually while at Murray, I started attending first Baptist church of Murray. And that was, uh, because there was really no Presbyterian church in town that, uh, that I connected with. So I started going to first Baptist and, uh, also became friends with a youth pastor of Marion Baptist Church in in my hometown, and when I ended up um, uh, going to uh, First Baptist Murray, um, I th- this whole idea of missions was something that mm-hmm. I had never really connected with before. And missions, I always knew about it, but it always seemed out there. Uh, whereas when I was at First Baptist Murray, it seemed like I could be a part of what the Lord was doing. Uh, and and so uh, that was when I said, I want to be a part of that. And mm-hmm. um, my my Lottie Moon story is as a poor college student, I, I was attending First, First Baptist Church Murray and they were taking up this offering at Christmas. And I had no idea who Lottie Moon was. I'm Presbyterian. I, I didn't know who she was. I thought she was sick or something. There was this huge <laughs> offering that they were taking up for. Awesome. And so as a poor college student, I put in a five. I was like, we, we got to help this lady. And so uh, then I found out who Lottie Moon was. And just this whole idea that we can reach the world for Christ, that mm-hmm. just resonated in my heart. And so as I... Um, uh, later on that year, I did start attending the the BCM. It was BSU in those days, and uh, had a campus minister that loved me and and discipled me as well. His name's Keith Inman, 
It's a huge part of my story. He's still my first phone call mm. uh, for me when there's when I just need someone to pray with, to talk with. And so he's that guy for me. And uh, and when I was a college student, that's when I actually joined Marion Baptist Church. And so I was immersed when I was sprinkled when I was 11 as a, as a Presbyterian, as a profession of faith. But then when I was in college, when I was 19, that's when I was immersed. So I've both covered. Uh, and <laughs> and uh, but uh, that's really my walk with Christ really just exploded when I was a college student. And I think that's why college ministry is so important to me now, mm. because uh, it was such crucial years for me, and right. I, I fell in love with the college campus. I that's that's where it all started. I loved being a college student, so I just tell people now, I'm like I just never left. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's great. But that's that's a little bit of my story, uh, and just continue to be growing in my walk with the Lord. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's great. I love hearing um, about your love mm. for the city that the Lord's placed you in now, mm. which is Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Right. So tell us, what are some of the favorite, your favorite things about Murfreesboro? Oh, yeah. so, the borough. So the borough, when we, when Lisa and the kids and I first moved there, uh, we, I worked for Lifeway and we really could have moved anywhere in the middle Tennessee area. Uh, but, uh, because I worked in downtown Nashville and I also traveled a lot for my job. So we knew we needed uh, somewhere close to the airport. And so, uh, but we kept going back to Murfreesboro and it was the college town. Um, we knew that we wanted to be among college students. I worked, my, my job at Lifeway was the national collegiate ministry leader uh, through Lifeway. And uh, I worked with the young adult ministry there. Uh, but we knew that we wanted to be around college students. So Murfreesboro, it was the college town with 23,000 college students in the borough. And uh, and so, but when we moved there, obviously a, not, a lot larger town than Murray, but we, uh, what drew us there was even when we went downtown, there's a, just the downtown square. Uh, it's a large town, but Murfreesboro still kind of has that local feel to it we love to go to the farmer's market on saturday morning and has a great breakfast place. yes yes yeah. they is city cafe yeah. uh uh and and when you go to uh farmer's market it's it's a social event it's really more of a social event than yeah we get our vegetables and stuff there but you see people and so that's even though it's a large town it still has that small town feel to it and and i love that about murfreesboro um got some pretty good coffee shops in town too that i love to take students to you have a favorite oh absolutely brass horn okay. brass horn is and and just love is there too but brass horn has the best coffee and we've got the world. links for all these yes things absolutely website, absolutely page. absolutely so that's great. but uh I, I love the university town feel murfreesboro loves mtsu so you love to see true blue everywhere mm, that's great. i want to do uh, a little since I've been known to do drama before, yeah. if I can. Sure. Uh, I, I want to be a grumpy deacon uh, <laughs> and ask this question to you. Why is college ministry, why are we spending money on college ministry mm -hmm. in our church as well as in the Tennessee Baptist Convention, Tennessee Baptist Mission Board? Why college ministry? Sure. I, collegiate, and I, I think you call it collegiate I, ministry. I but. know. I know that... I'm a little biased here, okay, but yeah. collegiate ministry is one of, if not, the college campus is one of, if not, the most strategic 
place that we can be as the church. Uh, you've got young adults who are, who are uh, making significant decisions about their life, uh, their vocation, and not every one of them is called to ministry, but every one of them, as, as they come to Christ, can, uh, can claim their vocation for, uh, for the Lord. So uh, teachers, doctors, nurses, they're training, but then if we can help them embrace that the Lord has given them that, that vocation in order to be a platform for the gospel— uh, it is so strategic and so important. Uh, so major decisions are are happening there. I I, I would also say that uh, international ministry. Um, mm. There, at MTSU right now, we have a little over twelve hundred university students wow. that are international students, and that's not including our ESL program. That students come for maybe a few semesters. Uh, or a few a few months uh, in order to study English. So literally the world comes to the college campus and then they go back. We're, we're sad right now because a huge group of Japanese students just mm. went back to Japan that we, uh, we just got to know so well and repeatedly so many of them heard the gospel. Uh, so they're going back home and we're, we're trying to connect them with believers there as well so that that journey can continue for them. Uh, so it's strategic for international missions. It's strategic for uh, also connecting. Sometimes we only think about the students, but uh, the university campus includes professors and staff members. How can we love the campus in a way that uh, helps helps our professors and, and staff members understand that the university campus is such an important place for the church to be. So it's strategic. So I know that the COVID pandemic was really made it really difficult for collegiate ministry yeah, to even yeah. happen. Specifically, it made it difficult at MTSU. Yes. But God has really been moving at MTSU in the last year or two. So tell us some of the things that you've been seeing God do. Yeah. So the pandemic, you know, in the middle of it, it was, it was discouraging. It was hard. I felt like we we had to reinvent everything, uh, as as everybody in the church right. did, and so uh, it's a little difficult to do college ministry on a college campus when there's no students there. Right. Uh, and so we did a lot online, um, but what we ended up seeing is we were doing some programming that was uh, good, but we were able to evaluate everything that we did during that time. And we actually, we killed some stuff as well. We we said, you know, this is not and has not been our most effective ministry. So why are we still doing it? So it gave us that liberty to be able to, um, to cut some programs, but then also dream about some things. Um, we also had a group of students that were... Um, that were still on campus or lived in Murfreesboro, and they were our leaders, and we really poured and invested in those leaders during that season of the pandemic and really helped them develop as leaders. That That's an aspect of BCM ministry that, uh, yes, we're evangelistic. Yes, we have um, uh, discipleship, but also a huge part of BCM is leadership that's development. Right. And we are a student-led ministry. We, there are staffers there. Haley Callie and I are staffers at BCM, but we, 
we we see this as a great opportunity to raise up leaders and train leaders. So we trained those leaders. And so what we've seen over the past couple of years is those leaders have taken the rein and they have absolutely run with it. And as new students come in, just the culture of our ministry has become so evangelistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has become discipleship is important. And so these new students coming in see, oh, this is normal. <laughs> this is this is the way we do things. And so one of our outreaches on campus is called a go-kart. We have three words we focus on. Connect, pursue, go. Connect with authentic friendships. Pursue an authentic relationship with Jesus and go with intention. Mm. So our students repeatedly hear those words, connect, pursue, go, connect, pursue, go. And so everything that we do fits under the umbrella of at least one of those words. So we have a go-kart that goes out on campus. Uh, Sometimes we'll take coffee, sometimes we'll take snacks, whatever. Uh, But what we have seen is that students are going out with a go-kart, intentionally starting conversations and intentionally sharing the gospel. That go-kart goes out anywhere between two to three times a week with students having gospel conversations on the campus um, repeatedly. And then in in our... um, in our group me i i'm watching that as groups are out and and the group me has hey pray for and it'll be a name and so everybody in the bcm is also getting those group me's at that moment and we're able to pray for that person in real time as even they're having a conversation yeah some of our listeners might not know but you actually promote our college students going to spring break Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) We love spring break. I tell you, I had an opportunity to uh, just be, uh, you know, basically a chauffeur this year. Right. Uh, But tell us a little bit about Beach Reach. Sure. What the vision and purpose of it is and maybe a story or two about our our students. Yeah. So Beach Reach, uh, that's a it's a spring break um, uh, opportunity gospel opportunity for college students. Panama City Beach is a huge destination Mm -hmm. for spring breakers uh, all over the country. And so years ago, back in, I think, 1995, 94, something like that, was the first time Beach Reach had ever started in Panama City. And then we, um, I went in 96. That was my first time I was at Virginia Tech as an intern. And so, but uh, it's a it's an outreach to spring breakers. Uh, we do van rides, we do ministry out on the beach, uh, and and hopefully to start gospel conversations. And we'll we'll pick students up wherever and take them wherever, but with the intention of the van rides that we start a gospel conversation with them. And uh, so MTSU, we've been a part of Beach Reach for the past several years um, when I was at Murray State, when I was at Virginia Tech. Also, Beach Reach was uh, a significant part of of spring break. Uh, we we took 45 to Beach Reach this past year, mm. which is a great from group. M- MTSU from MTSU only. Yes. Uh, over three weeks, there were 1,100 college students that took part in wow. Beach Reach uh, from, I think it was 35 different campuses around the country. And um, almost all of our our Tennessee t- schools, uh, our uh, BCMs, 
went to Beach Reach this year as well. I think there were 200 and of the 1,100, 260 were Tennessee students. So Who coordinates and facilitates all of this happening? <laughs> um, that I, I am one of the coordinators mm-hmm. for Beach Reach. Um, Lifeway, um, this used to be a Lifeway event. Mm-hmm. And when Lifeway, um, uh, when the role of the National Collegiate Ministry leadership went from Lifeway to NAM, um, Lifeway is not doing Beach Reach anymore. They're not coordinating that. And so there's a group of campus ministers mm-hmm. around the country that said, hey, we cannot lose this. And the state directors of collegiate ministry said, we cannot lose this. This is just way too important. So uh, we kind of went back to the grassroots effort of how Beach Reach even yeah. started. This is this is the way it started. It was a group of campus ministers that said, hey, this is a place, this is a destination where lots of, lots of college students are. How can we strategically share the gospel with them? And so it's kind of gone back to the days of campus ministers coordinating it. So me, along with Morgan Owen, who is our campus minister at UT Martin, and um, a guy named Ben Beck, who is at Purdue University in Indiana. Um, And uh, we've got um, Jeff Prosser, who is at Hillview Church in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and Jared Gregory, who is the uh, college pastor at First Baptist Denton, Texas. We've we've been the coordinating team that has uh, really kind of made Beach Reach work, along with so much help from other campus ministers from around the country. Y'all have had some salvations. Yes. we This past year, uh, over spring break, three weeks, 191 college wow, students that's incredible. gave their life to Christ. Right. And we, we try to be really intentional about also connecting those students. We get some contact information for them. And so when they go back to their, their college town, uh, because of our network, we have yeah. BCMs, we have college ministries all around the country. So we want to make sure that those students are connecting to a local church and a local ministry. So we also give that contact information so that there's follow-up uh, and discipleship happening after Beach Reach. That's so great. Well, Mark, so many of our churches, I know they probably talk to you. We hear it all the time. How do we reach this generation? How do we reach young adults? How do we engage them? What are some ad- things you would tell, advice you would give to sure. churches? So I I absolutely love this generation. Uh, I know that uh, I was a sociology major in college, so I love to study. That's the study of of groups and 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 those dynamics. So uh, I love to even think about how this generation these um, these students these these young adults are different. Uh, from what we've even seen in the past. I, I think the biggest thing is authenticity. Uh, be real. Be real with them. Um, and so as churches, uh, I, I don't necessarily think that there's um, a need for spending tons of money on lights and mm-hmm. and and uh, and smoke machines and all those students are not necessarily that might be an initial draw for some students and young adults but what they truly desire is to find people that are real and authentic Mm. and that will answer their questions that will listen to them Mm. and and not 
not judge them to the point of, of, well, you just do this and everything's going to be fine. Um, I, I think as churches begin to think through um, how to be present, and that, that's, that's something I tell churches all the time, that, well, we love to have college students in our church. Well, honestly, if they don't know you, they're not, they're not going to just necessarily show up to your church. And so I invite college pastors, I invite pastors, I invite church staff folks, uh, come be a part of, uh, we do a weekly worship on Thursday night. So come be a part, let students get to know you and, and see the real you and, and not just someone up on a platform. And that's where we really begin to see some, some, um, momentum in, in churches having ministry with young adults and college students. And so authenticity, you've got to be real to them. Um, and, and time, it is, it is something that college ministry, young adult ministry, it takes time and it's messy. Mm. You got to be okay with a little bit of messiness. Mm. Uh, we all have messy lives. Uh, Young adults are probably going to let you know how messy their lives are sometimes, and you've got to be okay to listening to the mess. Mm. And so, um, and if if you're willing to walk alongside that, those those students, those young adults, that makes all the difference in the world. So, helping your church and and having people, families that are willing to open up their homes and just be. Uh, a family, I, you know, I have, I have students that come over to my house that they live in the dorms and they'll, they'll just go to my refrigerator and open up the refrigerator and just say, I miss a refrigerator, oh, you know, just, yeah. they just, they love being in a home. Right. Um, it's, it's good for them. So many of our students come from broken homes. Mm. And so just to be in a home where there's a husband and a wife and kids and, it, we don't like Lisa and I don't we don't have a perfect life, but we just try to be real in front of them, and they appreciate that. Mm. So, I think the biggest thing is that word authenticity mm. is what students really desire to see. Yeah. I know you've been in ministry for so long with collegians, and we've heard so much about the mental health crisis. Are you right. seeing that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, escalate absolutely. The, the, the crisis. Absolutely, yes. That's. That's been something that we, even as campus ministers, we're really trying to even uh, us be aware of how we can navigate that a little bit more. Um, the pandemic was definitely something that I think raised that level. Um, but even before that, we, we were seeing anxiety and, and uh, depression uh, it's it is prevalent on a college campus and among students that they're they're willing to put on a face and a mask but you've got to listen you've got to listen to what students are saying but absolutely it's it is a uh, I I would call it a crisis among young adults right. and college students it's something that uh, really has to be addressed and so as college ministers in college ministry, we are we're consistently dealing with conversations and referrals. I'm not a counselor, so I I know my limits of on what I can and can't do. But I'm I have a list of counselors that I refer students to, and and 
hopefully they will follow up with that. Yeah. Just to broaden the canvas a little bit on Gen Z, uh, other adjectives that you would use for this generation as we as we think about them, as we try to minister to them in local church, what what would be some other descriptive terms that you would use for this generation? Um, and is it Gen Z? Gen Z, okay, yeah, yeah, this would be Gen Z. Um, they are creative. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are connected, but lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the most connected generation ever mm-hmm. because of social media. Because, but, but they're lonely. Isn't it amazing that they, they actually say that as social media usage goes up, so does the uh, depression sure. and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Why is that? It's artificial. And so, and it's isolating. Yeah, it, you're already isolated. You know, when you're just looking at a phone or whatever. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's um, um, Tim Elmore is is a uh, is a guy who really studies generations. He's out of Atlanta. Uh, Love to like read his stuff, but he he actually calls a lot of this artificial uh, maturity. And so, this generation sometimes appears very mature. Uh, on some aspects, but yet when it comes to um, knowing how to make a doctor's appointment, how to um, how to call about a warranty not being in effect, it it isolates them. They cannot, they can't function, and and so that's a part of my job, even as just helping students navigate some things of life that they they have this. Um, this maturity, this look of maturity, but it's it's almost like an artificial maturity, mm-hmm. and so I think that's also with the, the uh, connectedness. It's artificial, and so they they don't necessarily know how to connect at times. And I and I and I I don't like using the word they. Uh, yeah, like that's that's not something that I, I because I I walk alongside them and mm-hmm. and I, I want to make sure that they. Uh, young adults know that I'm, I'm for not them classifying yeah. them but but I would also say that uh they are the um they are eager um when you get a gen zer on track and you you help them understand a need they are all in mm. and so That's encouraging. I like I uh, there's a there's a young guy I was I had coffee with his dad yesterday and uh this guy he graduated high school last year but he is taking a gap year and he uh is doing Nehemiah teams which is with IMB and so he is in Southeast Asia right now mm. was going to just do a semester well, he extended that to the spring semester and I I really don't know if this guy's going to come back or not but he has this attitude of, hey, there are people in this world that don't know Jesus, and he can't be okay with that. Wow. And so that's why I love this generation so much, because if you help them understand that the world's biggest problem mm. is lostness, and they grab hold of that, you can't stop them. They're going to make sure that they do what it takes to make sure everyone hears about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so eagerness, I yeah. think if if you can help them embrace that. 
they'll run with it. Yeah. So many qualities that we need to see in all generations. Absolutely. That we could learn from. Absolutely. So what are you most excited about this for this coming year? Semester's (laughs) ended. Summer's coming, you know. So what are you most excited looking forward to the next year at MTSU? So we had an incredible freshman class come in this past year. Um, I'm and many of them are in leadership roles uh, for this upcoming year. I'm excited to see them step into areas of leadership. They watched the, some of those older students, seasoned students lead well and lead so well. Um, but now it's their turn. They're stepping into areas of leadership. So I'm excited to watch them and see how they take what they have seen and what they've been a part of over this past year and to run with that. Mm. And um, this group of students and and a lot of guys, our ministry has, um, we, we, have, we have a really even number of male and female in our ministry. And uh, some of the programs at MTSU even kind of precipitate that. Um, we have the pilot program, uh, the um, students come to want to be pilots and and uh, that's predominantly a male uh, program we've really tapped into that program uh, the construction management program uh, tapped into that there's a bunch of students involved with us there and so so many of those students are male uh, and so our ministry is very even when it comes between the male female ratio um, so I'm excited. I, I spend a lot of time with the guys. Haley spends a lot of time with our girls. I'm personally just excited to watch some of our guys step into those aspects of leadership and um, and watch them. And uh, yeah, we we've I, I anticipate that our ministry will just continue to grow mm. over the next over the next year. Mm. So we can pray for you and we can pray for the upcoming semester beach reach next year yes what are some other things that uh, we can pray for you about pray for uh and i mentioned international ministry uh a little bit earlier just continue to pray for those opportunities when when i came to mtsu six years ago uh there was no international ministry going on and that was a huge aspect of for life for me at murray state I, I love international students, and so uh, we just we began to pray that the Lord would open up opportunities for international ministry. And over the past two years, we've just seen it happen. Tuesday nights, we hosted dinner, and there's anywhere between seventy to eighty internationals in our building mm. every Tuesday night. And to have the nations in our building is just—I love hearing the languages, love seeing the diversity of people. And so it's uh, so just pray for our international ministry and that students will have a desire for that. And uh, just pr- and pray for our staff, um, for me and Haley. And we're in the process of looking for a new campus missionary as well. So pray for our staff as we as we minister to the students at MTSU. And one final question. And I want to this can sound like a commercial or something. It's not. But I know you're fired up about the golden offering. How, yes. does, how, does, how does the golden offering help? Oh, the golden offering, uh, it, it helps us do literally everything that we do on the college campus every day. We could not do what we do without the support of the golden offering and our churches believing that it is important 
uh, that Tennessee truly is a mission field. And any way you slice it. Any way you slice it. Uh, And part of that slice is the college campuses uh, in Tennessee. And that's a significant slice. And so um, the Golden Offering helps us do what we do every day with outreach with students and uh, uh, our buildings, Our which, I, you know, I look at our buildings, they're just strategically placed mm, incredible. Uh, all over our state, uh, literally right across the street from campuses. Yeah. Uh, the Lord gave Tennessee Baptist fl- favor years ago mm-hmm. when those properties were obtained. And now many of those properties, the universities have grown around our property. And so that's exciting. Well, before I came to Tennessee Baptist, I knew that Mark Witt was here and I knew I'd be working with a legend because you've been doing it for years and years That's right. at Lifeway uh, with Beach Reach. And we're so glad uh, to have this moment to to visit with you. Well, thank you guys. I, I love what I do. I truly love what I do every day. And I'm thankful that Tennessee Baptists uh, believe in college ministry. Uh, it's It's definitely something that we know that is important to our state. Thanks so much, Mark. I tell you, I enjoyed that so much. Oh, uh, yeah. He is just filled with the Holy Spirit and yet is so much fun to talk to and has such a passion for college ministry. Yeah, for sure. And of course, we have uh, this podcast to highlight the Golden Offering for Tennessee. That's right. That's our sponsor, our right, one sponsor, exactly. Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions. And one of the things that we really wanted to do was have a prayer emphasis so that as you listen to this podcast each week, you can walk away with a way to pray for Tennessee. And we have our executive director for Tennessee WMU, Vicki Anderson, is going to share a way that you can be praying for Tennessee this week. Hey, we got to pray. Here's Vicki Anderson. In today's episode, we're going to pray for Compassion Ministries. Compassion Ministries help increase awareness, develop strategies, provide resources, train volunteers, and connect people to address the issues that challenge our communities. Pray for Compassion Ministries to have resources to meet the needs of struggling Tennesseans and to ultimately win Tennessee through love and kindness. Pray for churches and ministries that provide food to individuals experiencing hunger and food insecurity. Pray for churches ministering to internationals through English classes, job training, and other compassion ministries. The opioid crisis is ravaging our communities. Pray for churches leading recovery ministries and for individuals to find freedom in Christ from addiction. And pray for how your church can meet needs in your community and build relationships with hurting people so they can hear the good news of the gospel. Thank you for praying. Thanks for joining us for episode one of the Golden Hour. I think they're going to let us keep going. I think so. so. <laughs> Join I, us I'm again. hoping so. That's this right. has been a lot of fun, and we hope that you've enjoyed it, been inspired, made you think, and uh, enjoy that Coke if you drink Coke. Um, and also just wanted to mention that our next episode is featuring a great Tennessee pastor, Sam Greer, is going to be in the studio, in the house with us, and then we're going to also have just some interesting facts about Tennessee toes. Oh, okay. Yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah. Hey, anyway you slice it, Tennessee is a mission field, the golden hour. Hey, everyone's invited. We making changes and that's for real, the golden hour.